every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we needed to write as we kept out of sight for no more. So I'll read a book, or maybe two or three. It's such fun to hum a happy working song. Ooh, a happy working song. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's... It's not just in me, it is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney, your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, we conclude our Epcot Essentials series by taking a preview into what's to come at the beloved Walt Disney World theme park. At the last D23 Expo back in August, we heard a lot of new plans of what is arriving at Epcot over the next several years, and joining me again will be Aaron Wallace, who is the host of the On Main Street with Aaron Wallace podcast, and he knows a thing or two about Epcot, having written the Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot book. So let's get right into that conversation. So on this episode of Notably Disney, I am glad to welcome back Aaron Wallace to discuss the third portion of our Epcot Essentials series. So in previous editions, we have centered on the powerful music found within the park, past and present, as well as pieces of literature that have covered the park. All of this content, though, has centered on the now, or the yesteryear of Epcot. What lies ahead will become cornerstones of the park in the years to come. Well, we're going to find out what is to come in the future of Epcot by examining the park presentation at the 23 Expo this past August, uh, in which both Aaron and I were in attendance. And we are recording this conversation in late September, so it's possible that new details may have surfaced after our conversation and before the release of this episode, and I'll incorporate any details related to that if that emerges. But at this point, uh, we're really excited to unravel the future of Epcot based on what we have heard. So welcome back to Notably Disney, Aaron. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me back. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here chatting with you. Well, I'm glad to have you on. We had a really rich discussion regarding the music and books and literature about Epcot. So now we're going to kind of see what what's in the coming years, because it seems like there's going to be a lot of content. But I know in our previous conversations, we talked about at different points in time, Epcot has had a bit of an identity crisis or experienced some different transformations, not nearly as pronounced as what we will be seeing over the coming years. 
but there have been some changes in the past and a, a lack of cohesiveness at times. So what, what have your thoughts been in terms of thinking back to before this expo presentation and what you were hoping or thinking would be coming out of it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, I walked into that parks panel at the D23 Expo with a great deal of trepidation, uh, which I think is true of a lot of Disney fans, particularly the sort of Epcot Center faithful. Uh, and really, I walked in resigned to the fact that Epcot was about to change uh, in a big way and altogether for the worst. Uh, so... <laughs> There was sort of a heavy feeling of like gloom walking in. And in fact, when uh, when they first started to mention Epcot, I, I just had this like, well, here we go, <laughs> you know, attitude of it's all it's all about to fall apart. Uh, and that really stems from, you know, a few things uh, We've already seen over the past few years Guardians of the Galaxy, which is this you know major comic book superhero IP franchise. We've seen it enter Epcot in two pretty significant ways. We've seen Frozen, uh, an animated film, replace Maelstrom, an original concept attraction, uh, in a way that felt, to me at least, to my mind, um, pretty shoehorned and not altogether in tune with the broader, nobler purpose of the Norway Pavilion or World Showcase. Uh, and we have heard on numerous occasions Bob Chapek and other executives at Disney talk about making the park, you know, quote unquote, more Disney, more family friendly. Uh, and, you know, I always think executives are just politicians who haven't left the private sector yet. And so you have to kind of read uh, their statements in uh, through that same lens. And so to me, this felt like a lot of doublespeak, uh, a lot of puffery coming from the executives, um, basically preparing us for uh, Epcot becoming this um, relatively themeless character uh, extravaganza. And, uh, Suffice it to say, I think that's not quite what happened at the parks panel. So I don't know. How did you feel walking in? Well, I, I was going to ask you, tell me how you really feel then. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely share a lot of the same sentiments that you conveyed. I, I, I think there has been this messaging over the past few years when they've been very vague about that Epcot is going to be undergoing this transformation where they're going to say that there's a greater sense of timelessness, a greater sense of Disney, um, this really sense of abstractness. And I think that was a legitimate feeling for concern because as you demonstrated, we have seen these characters come in even as far back as 13 years ago or so with Finding Nemo in the, in the Living Seas. And while that perhaps is a, a, a more appropriate fit than uh, Frozen in Norway, nonetheless, we have seen that IP influence. And it's just a, a sign of, of where the Disney company is going because it all comes down to the bottom line, which is finances. And why not invest into something that where you have a familiar character or brand? So I, I definitely had that sense of fear because... Uh, I, as you know, and as we've talked about, I have such a reverence for what Epcot represents and the originality of so many of the different attractions and experiences. And there's this anxiety that that character influence will 
defeat the initial point of Epcot. So I, I definitely had some concerns, but I was also encouraged by some of the initial general concept art that we had seen from um, the past year or so. But I was I was very concerned. Yeah, yeah, the concept art uh, did inspire some confidence, at least in as much as Future World in particular is very much in need of an aesthetic upgrade. Uh, it looks immediately dated upon entering the park, sort of stuck in the early to mid-90s. Uh, and so, you know, the concept art seemed like it would solve at least that problem, even if it maybe was going to create some others. Uh, so there was that confidence. And then just speaking of artwork, uh, at the D23 Expo, there was the Imagineering Pavilion on the show floor. And for those who weren't there, this was open to all guests throughout the entirety of the three-day event. You could just sort of stroll in and out. And part of the display there uh, was these uh, was a series of, like a gallery of uh, poster art. All of these were newly created attraction posters. Uh, and some of them were hearkening back to classic Epcot attractions that are no longer with us, while others were sort of reframing the the attractions that are currently there um, with these with this new imagery, much of it featuring Disney characters. So for example, you had the Mexico Pavilion poster featuring Coco. Uh, you had the UK Pavilion poster featuring uh, the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland and Mary Poppins. And so I think all of this also contributed to the anxiety uh, that a lot of us felt walking into the parks panel. Uh, because there had been so much buzz on the show floor all weekend about what do these posters mean? What does this Imagineering Pavilion mean? They also had these little maquettes of um, of of the uh, the new show pavilions uh, that are being built or changes being made to the existing pavilions. And and there again, you saw like a giant guitar propped up along this alongside the Mexico Pavilion. And so it really did seem to be setting the stage for. Uh, heavy character integration in the park, which while maybe not problematic in and of itself, uh, is problematic when it's thoughtlessly integrated. And I think that was the fear um, walking in. And I don't know if the <laughs> if the show floor pavilion made that any better or worse, but for me, I felt a lot of anxiety. Well, it didn't instill a lot of confidence. And th they also wrestled with this notion of timing because here you're unveiling the exhibit from the onset of the expo, but yet the parks presentation isn't until the last day. So there were instances where some of the uh, the posters that you were describing were there were some uh, empty spaces because they, for instance, had yet to announce the Mary Poppins area. So there was kind of this wonder behind: okay, are they? Is this going to be filled by the long anticipated Brazil Pavilion? Who knows? Mm -hmm. So. There was that fear there, too. I, I also want to really piggyback on your point about those posters, because you, you mentioned the integration of some characters and everything in a common style, a mix of both past and present and a little bit of the future. What was really fascinating is I feel like through them illustrating them, they were the Imagineers, the folks who were presenting this, were essentially trying to show one one central message that all of Epcot past, present, and future has this common thread, and these posters represent that in a sense, that same style, that same uh, vision. And I, I think that was actually executed quite well, but there was still that sense of what what will ultimately be. So 
because you had that period of anticipation until Sunday, you're wondering, okay, uh, what is ultimately going to be shared? We we found out on Thursday before the expo even started about the journey um, journey through water uh, with Moana. So we'll we'll talk about that. But like that was like a little tease prior to the actual parks presentation, and and we're thinking to ourselves, wow, they're already dropping stuff. I wonder what new will be actually unveiled on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then you know once we're in the uh, in the parks panel and the presentation begins fairly early on. Uh, they start to um, they start to sort of reference early Epcot. Uh, I think we saw some imagery up on the slides. Uh, there was a speaker who walked out and he was wearing like a retro Epcot T-shirt and he was talking to the crowd about what a hardcore Epcot fan he he uh, is. And to me, this started to make me even more worried. <laughs> Because the company has a tendency to like sing Epcot's praises out of one side of its mouth <laughs> while also like denigrating its legacy uh, out of the other or like announcing changes that will um, will be a bad thing, you know. So we've seen like the Disney Parks blog announce some terrible change at the park uh while quoting Walt Disney saying, you know, the trees will keep getting bigger and the place will keep growing and it'll keep changing as if to imply this is what Walt Disney wanted. And uh we we've heard you know Bob Chapek play a lot of pay a lot of lip service to the Disney legacy uh, while talking about you know characters characters IPs IPs uh, you know what makes us different is that we own a lot of stuff uh, so I felt like this is setting the stage for making us feel like they're going to announce pro Epcot changes while actually. Uh, announcing the, you know quite the opposite. Uh, how did you feel when that first started? Yeah, I, I feel similarly. I was encouraged. So the Imagineer is Zach Ridley, and he was so dynamic, had such personality and authenticity. I would have liked him to. I, I would have liked to see him actually host the entire portion because he mm. brought such a great um, natural energy to the room. But you're right because there is this dichotomy between reverence for the park and then. On the flip side, uh, bringing in all the stuff that that doesn't feel like a, a real authentic fit. So, I was concerned by that. I was also concerned because there was that fantastic little uh, highlight reel of what Epcot has been over time, and showing just some, you know, just that nice pr- promo reel of sorts. And they showed a few images of some some of the properties that will be coming. And I was excited by it, but I. I was also concerned. I one thing that really got me excited was the new logo for the park that has that classic flair with the stylized uh, letters and also the slogan of the magic of possibility. I, I love the notion of possibility, and I don't know to what degree that will actually be incorporated in, into future messaging, but it 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 really hit like reinforced the notion of Epcot is a place of not only wonderment, but innovation and what could be. Yeah, absolutely. First, the the new logo, I love it. Uh, it is just aesthetically pleasing. Uh, it is both uh, retro and futuristic at the same time. They really hit the nail on the head with this. Uh, I had kind of expected them to change the park's name back to Epcot Center just because we've seen that appearing on so much in-park merchandise over the last few years. Right. Uh, 
But uh, essentially, it is the old Epcot Center logo, uh, just without the word center, and then just rounded a little bit more, which is where I think you get a little uh, more of a taste of the the futurism uh, of that logo. But yeah, it looks great. Uh, As for the magic of possibility, as a concept, I, I love that notion. You know, I do wonder if maybe the word magic is there to kind of uh, reserve space in the park for the theme for the, yep, yeah, yep. for the characters or just for whatever kind of Magic Kingdom-y type experience they might want to fit into the park in the future. Um, I have a feeling there was definitely some strategy involved there. Uh, but if we don't sort of break this down word by word and look at well magic versus possibility and we just think of it as a concept the magic of possibility to me that is fundamentally epcot yeah indeed it's uh, you know this is and this is really a, a test period of sorts like the the notion behind this parks presentation is to get out some early details test out see how folks feel about it because some of some of the material they presented is going to uh, not come to fruition for quite a while. So as we've seen in the past, like with the parks presentation from a decade ago when they announced New Fantasyland and ultimately some of those princess meet and greets did not materialize and they realized they need to appeal to not just little girls but little boys and you have the mind train. It's it's ultimately a period of seeing how the public responds and also seeing how things evolve internally. So playing around with some of the messaging here, like even something as simple as a slogan that can really ultimately change based on how the park evolves and and what what the parks want to prioritize. So, Aaron, let's transition. One thing that was emphasized at the beginning is that Epcot is no longer going to consist of two main areas, Future World and World Showcase. World Showcase will be preserved in in both title and um, overall focus, but we'll dive into that. But Future World is now going to have different neighborhoods, and it's going to include world celebration which is essentially the notion of the center core area of what future world has been and then you have world nature and uh world discovery so what are your thoughts on these little districts or areas yeah well first i would say that uh, i am a fan of the consistency of the naming convention uh so that we now have world showcase world discovery world nature world celebration uh it it sort of brings the two halves of epcot into alignment um maybe even uh, more effectively than it ever has been before uh the is, is let me ask you Brett, is it your sense that future world like as a name as a title as a section of the park no longer exists and that we now just have four sections of the park or do you get the sense that these are three neighborhoods within what we will still know as future world so i'll give you two answers i think one is that from a disney messaging pr standpoint i think they'd like us to think a future world as no longer existing and instead being these three areas from the standpoint of like how tomorrowland has always wrestled with the notion of not everything there is futuristic anymore. And likewise, future world is no longer just concentrated on actual future, but there's also, especially with Guardians influence, this science fiction future and creative future. So I think from a Disney PR communication standpoint, they want us to view future world as dissolved. But I think 
ultimately how many people will be adopting all of these new names in a natural format. Like think of how many people still call Hollywood studios MGM. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. My two cents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend, I think that uh, I tend to agree with that. I wonder to what extent we will see each of these neighborhoods rethemed cosmetically uh, because, you know, even in classic future world, there was supposed to be a sense of separation, right? Like future world West versus future world East uh, West focusing more on nature uh, East folks focusing more on science and technology. So it, it seems like they've kind of identified a distinction that already existed and they're just making it more explicit. Um, but in making it more explicit, I'm wondering if that will carry through to the uh, to the visual, because I think right now, as you walk through future world, you, you really have to either know that the two sides were conceived as being distinct from one another, or you have to really pay close attention and think about, okay, what kind of messaging is coming from the attractions on one side versus the other. But the the visual cues are all very subtle. Uh, I mean, we're talking about like the shape of the concrete around the fountains. Uh, it's really that subtle. Uh, and so I wonder if, what do you think, that they'll make it uh, more, uh, you know, taking their cue from Magic Kingdom, will these feel like distinct environments? That's a good question. I hope so. I, I I know in having visited Epcot in the past, for me, it was always pretty pronounced in terms of knowing where I'm at based on the notion of curves and not as many um, straight hard edges in Future World West with the land and living seas. And it makes sense because that was how the Imagineers crafted it. I think the lines become a bit blurrier now with the notion of world celebration kind of being tied in and the Moana area because that's going to be very focused on gardens and water. So that will kind of bleed into what used to be future world West. And then, you no longer have, you know, interventions on either side. And one of the buildings, the side on future world West is no longer going to be there. So it, it seems like the distinctions are in some ways less identifiable now, but by the same token, we have this very explicit, use of naming and distinction. So it seems like there's a paradox kind of going on of sorts in terms of how things are uh, in relation to one another uh, from a proximity standpoint and also who knows in terms of uh, architecture and, and design and sidewalks and gardens and all of that work. Yeah, I guess future world wouldn't be future world without some sort of a paradox at play because it, it does feel like that's been the running theme since at least 1994. Yeah, it's I'm really, really curious to see what direction they go in here. If they're going to go this far to divide future world up into three neighborhoods, then I hope that they do for the guests sake create a, a distinct sense of place from one to the next because otherwise it seems like um, nothing more than just like an arbitrary line drawn on a map uh, and that's poor theming so if, if we're going to make this change I, I hope that the Imagineers really commit to it uh, certainly we, I think we've, we've gotten the we've seen the most of world celebration and what that's going to look like the, the concept art has really focused on that and everything about that to me suggests a major change aesthetically uh, and really a very welcoming, beautiful environment. First, I love the idea that as you step into the park, it's themed to the idea of celebrating the world. That maybe isn't exactly 
Epcot Center's original theme, but I think it uh, dovetails with what that park aspired to be. Uh, and, you know, the idea that we're going to have this statue of Walt Disney, uh, that we're going to have this beautiful three-story uh, expo hall, essentially, uh, the third story of which will be an outdoor rooftop garden with a lagoon and fireworks view. Uh, that, to me, just sounds stunning um, and sort of bringing like the natural into uh, the idea of, of a standing world sphere. Um, so everything about that, everything that we've seen from it, I love so far. Yeah, I agree. And it also sounds like a $200 dessert party up there as well. <laughs> I do worry about that. Uh, I hope that if that's going to be the case, it's only the case at night uh, during the fireworks. Uh, and so that, you know, hopefully that area will be freely accessible for the bulk of the day. Indeed. Well, the way they describe it on the Disney Parks blog for um, this little area is that, um, is that it, yes, indeed, it's going to be a three-level structure. There'll be a plaza level, a middle expo level, and then the park on the top. And, and actually, you mentioned the Walt Disney statue, which I think they're titling Dreamer's Point. That feels very much akin to with the, the transformation at California Adventure with Buena Vista Street and how they have the the Walt Disney statue there as well. It's a, a nice nod, and I think it's really good fan service too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I love that we have a, now like a series of Walt Disney statues that capture him at different ages, different points in his life. And this captures kind of like the very final years of Walt Disney uh, when he. I mean, I think he was a dreamer all his life, but he was dreaming his biggest dreams. I think we can say uh, at that stage in his life. And so I love the idea of this. I love that he's um, like sitting in posture. That's uh, just a, I think a creative idea for a statue. Uh, it's unlike what we've seen of the partner statue in the storyteller statue, as you, as you said. Uh, I, I, another thing I like about this is that, you know, I just think like garden spaces, uh, plazas, uh, open walkways, like all of these things to me suggest the idea of reflection, rumination, contemplation. And that is part and parcel of what Epcot inspired to be as well. And so to kind of carve out these spaces that maybe aren't attractions, as we typically think of that term, but are just spaces for gathering and for reflection, uh, and to have that be the centerpiece of the park's entrance uh, all the way back to World Showcase, uh, to me, really kind of gels with what I love about Epcot Center, which is that it did want us to contemplate and ponder. All, all good points. And it also, understandably, is in alignment with Epcot's focus on its almost year-round festivals, but it feels like through this new layout and organization that it's going to be much more cohesive throughout the park as opposed to a lot of the um, content being in just World Showcase and then maybe like the festival center that where Wonders of Life used to be. So it, it seems like through World Celebration, it will serve as a as a hub for the festivals and and maybe even offer some um, complimentary programming so I'm, I'm excited about it from that standpoint too yeah i agree and you know so much of the problem with epcot's festivals has just been operational in nature right i mean it's it's uh, it's a lot of these uh these little food booths that are shoehorned into spaces that weren't built to accommodate them. And so you get uh, crazy crowds and you get a very tacky aesthetic throughout the park. Uh, but if they are going to 
redesign these spaces with those uh, experiences in mind, you know, to me, that is not um, that's not out of step with the idea of a World's Fair. Uh, you know, there were food booths. <laughs> that's part of a permanent World's Fair. And, and it might even uh, enhance the park's um, theme, you know, in that, it, it, that it's supposed to be this kind of permanent fair. Yeah, indeed. And and also a big part of World Celebration is the what remains the icon of the park. And apparently they needed to reinforce that because, I don't know, perhaps folks were concerned that Spaceship Earth would no longer be the centerpiece of Epcot. They really wanted to reinforce that again and again. Spaceship Earth will remain, of course, but there will be some monumental changes in terms of uh, the narration and the musical score and also the overall theme, which is not going to be so much centered on communication, but rather storytelling or at least storytelling as a thread. And the description was that you'll follow a magical story light that brings the entire experience to life in dynamic ways, giving each scene energy and beauty that ties the entire journey together. That's based on Disney Parks blog. We saw a little bit of uh, concept art that seemed to show a uh, that story light or a guide in the sky. Some folks thought maybe there was a Moana influence, like Grandma Tala was in the form of the manta ray. But then others have said it's actually not the same, uh, the same shape um, mm-hmm. quite. So there have been some rumors as far as what's actually going to happen to Spaceship Earth. We don't know a whole lot at this point. All we know is that there's going to be a major refurb that's probably going to span a year and a half, maybe two. It could be a long time. What are what are your thoughts on what has been announced and also what remains in the speculation stage? Yeah, so I was very concerned about this entering the parks uh, panel. It was probably my single biggest area of concern. We knew going in that Spaceship Earth is closing for a very long period of time. I I think it's been rumored at least to be about a two-year closure, uh, which to me suggested major structural changes. And so I really expected the end of Spaceship Earth as we know it. As you've just said, that turns out to be not the case. While there are changes coming to the attraction, it sounds like it is still going to be fundamentally Spaceship Earth. Uh, as for this you know, shift in in focus, so when Spaceship Earth opened, it was a ride about communication, the history of uh, human communication and where that might take us in the future. Uh, and then with new corporate sponsorship uh, in later years, it evolved into a ride about human innovation uh, and the human capacity for invention. But that's that that shift was very slight. It's still principally about communication and then just the dialogue occasionally kind of opens up the discussion to include other kinds of, um, of innovation. So all that to say there is room, I think, for slight adjustments to to the concept of Spaceship Earth. But what worries me, uh, two things. First, when Bob Chapek, as we've already said, when he uses words like storytelling, like often what he means is uh, character integration from uh, pre-existing IP. Indeed. Second, secondly, when, when you go back and look at the early treatise work that was done like the story treatments that were done for spaceship earth when it was being uh first created in the late 70s early 80s uh you know they brought in like buckminster fuller or they brought in ray bradbury who who looked back at this um 
this work, the piece of work that had been done by Buckminster Fuller that really identified communication specifically as the mechanism for the survival of humanity. And Ray Bradbury wrote so eloquently about why it was so important that at the center of this park, we have a ride that pinpoints communication as the mechanism that will allow our continued survival, the mechanism that will perpetuate progress and improvement and and better ways of life. Tracing back to, again, this Buckminster Fuller piece that identified communication as being like the thing that allowed us to overcome all the savagery of the world and all of the harsh natural elements and and these sorts of things. Given that rich foundational underpinning, it is a little sad to see a shift away from that in favor of a concept that I dare say does not have so rich an underpinning. Uh, That having been said, could this still end up being principally a ride about communication that is just broadened up ever so slightly to include elements of storytelling much in the same way that they broadened it to include elements of other kinds of intervention? Uh, Quite possibly. And I hope that that's about all the change we get because in my opinion, at least the first two thirds of Spaceship Earth uh, is, is a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree. I, my biggest disappointment with the most recent iteration is how the last several minutes is so much emphasizing u- utilizing the video screens on your vehicle as opposed mm-hmm. to the actual physical space around you. And I, I wonder if, if that part will be modified as well. I guess what, what I'm wondering is what scenes or aspects of the attraction will, will be preserved or at least in, in the most consistent sense right because over time each of the scenes has changed in some capacity but i'm i'm curious as to what actually will will be modified and also importantly how will how will the attraction conclude yeah i i'm really curious too but look i mean i know i i just sort of went on a downer rant about these changes but i do think it's possible that we could end up with the best version of spaceship or like if they really sort of identify the core thread of that attraction and stay true to it, but then find a way to maybe enhance the emotionalism of it a little bit, which I I think is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, And if they maybe do some work structurally to the track to modernize that experience so that it feels uh, very seamless, uh, it it could end up being a truly inspiring uh, attraction that sends us off on a much more compelling note than the current, uh, what I call Judy Dench draws the future <laughs> version of the finale, where we're essentially playing on iPads the whole time. Uh, so yeah, and you know, if they bring in the right narration uh, and just sort of give this a modern polish uh, without fundamentally transforming it into some sort of you know Disney story time adventure ride, uh, then I think it could be a great thing. So one question for you, Aaron. And before we shift to the other topics, because there's a lot to cover, new narrator, do you have any top choices in your book of who who might serve that role? Oh my gosh, honestly, I haven't I haven't even thought about who that might be. Uh, and you know, do we expect it to be a celebrity? Uh, do you have anyone in mind? I actually do. However, I, I say that with you know the notion of. Disney can go in so many different directions. You know, Judy Dench and Jeremy Irons, among others, have Walter Cronkite have been great. 
I, I wonder with the notion, if they really want to emphasize the notion of storytelling, if they want to perhaps go with a celebrity who's also known for being a, a really good author. And so two names actually came to mind on this front, one being Michelle Obama and the other being Oprah Winfrey. Ooh. And I would totally support either of those individuals in that role because I think they would be, not only are they fantastic communicators, but they also are known for really encouraging individuals to read, to be engaged in understanding fellow humans and human experience and storytelling. I think they'd be perfect. (laughs) Brett, I love this idea. In particular, Oprah Winfrey, I'm a a big fan of hers. And, uh, you know, one thing I love uh, about what she did with her show was in the final episode of her talk show, uh, she ended it with this call to action, which was something along the lines of, uh, figure out your purpose in life and get about the business of doing it. Uh, And I think about that quote so often. uh, And Oprah just has this capacity to be really inspiring um, while also having a killer voice that's well-suited to narration. Uh, And so I do think uh, that she could deliver like not only just a great presentation, a great experience, but this really meaningful call to action at the end. Uh, and voice matters, right? Like vocal delivery matters. And in particular, I like I, I'm drawn to this idea of of voices we trust. Uh, I think voices that we grow up with, whether it's a singer songwriter um, or you know just someone who's sort of inspired the world uh, throughout your life, that you do build a sense of relationship with the sound of a voice. And I think that Oprah does have a voice that people trust, a voice they respond to. Uh, and so I love this idea. Well, I think we need to start the campaign on social media then. <laughs> More work we should. for us. And, uh, we should. It's also worth noting that Oprah was named a Disney legend uh, a couple of years ago, so it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility that Disney will draw from its Disney Legends catalog. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And so, her credentials as a Disney legend were not the strongest, so maybe she can start working <laughs> it retroactively. <laughs> we won't go there, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I have a whole argument to be made about uh, about more recently named Disney legends, but uh, that's for another episode. Okay. So <laughs> uh, moving on to Journey of Water, inspired by Moana. So this will be a, a new interactive area in kind of outside World Celebration. Um, I guess, are they considering it? Yeah, it'll be part of World Celebration. No, it's part of World, world Nature, Nature, I believe. But yeah. it's, it's, right on the, it's right on the edge, so the lines are blurry. <laughs> in in my Mm -hmm. mind but it'll basically be an exploration trail where folks can interact with water and you'll learn about the water cycle somehow moana will enter into this we see in the concept art that there's the um one of the symbols from the film i wonder if there will be a meet and greet (laughs) but uh what, what are your thoughts on at least this early description of this new interactive area Well, I'm glad that they are bringing something new to this area that will now be known as World Nature because there were only going to be two pavilions there, uh, right, since they are sort of annexing uh, the Imagination Pavilion to be part of World Celebration. We will be left with just uh, the living seas and the land. So I'm glad that there's a third thing to kind of give that this this neighborhood more heft. Uh, But my big question with uh, with Journey of Water is just what? is this like what is this going to be and you know is is it going to be principally a garden like an arboretum that really focuses on this beautiful nature walk 
Or is it going to be more of like a kid's splash zone area along the lines of the Casey Jr. Uh, splash and soak station in Storybook Circus at Magic Kingdom? Uh, is this going to be, as you say, a glorified meet and greet outside? Uh, you know, I just, what What is this? And I, it's hard to really know whether to get excited about this or to dread it uh, until we know more about what the execution will look like. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm hopeful but I also am a little skeptical. So hopefully it pushes down on that point of centering on water cycle. I think it makes me feel like the lines are blurry between that and the seas, but by the same token, there's not as much of an emphasis on some of those educational elements. So it, it, it'll be fascinating to see if they are able to weave in the entertainment aspect with the education and certainly the notion of um, environmentalism. Yeah, I do. I do like uh, that they are at least aspiring toward edutainment. Still, uh, I mean, it would have been very easy for them to announce Journey of Water without any sort of, uh, you know, goal of educating people about anything. Uh, so they are trying, at least, and I appreciate that. Right. Well, and kind of on the same note of educating folks there's a new film in what used to be circle of life the theater in the land now it's going to be home to awesome planet which will debut um, at the beginning of 2020 at this point all we know is that it will center on the planet that we occupy the diversity the beauty perhaps and and hopefully there'll be some references to the climate crisis that we're experiencing i don't know if they will really want to uh, push down on that, but uh, this at least there will be a new film in that theater for the first time in what f- fifteen years, really, or no, yeah. twenty five twenty five years. My gosh, uh, Circle of Life debuted in nineteen ninety five, so twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hashtag anything but Circle of Life. Uh, <laughs> thank God that movie is gone. Uh, I always thought it was such a what what Bob Iger would call a brand withdrawal, which is the term he uses anytime Disney does something like on the cheap that kind of undermines the integrity of their characters or their brand. And uh, I think this was such a poor use of Lion King characters, such a cheaply made film um, and and really sort of a downer while highlighting important issues. It did it in a really sort of like a browbeating kind of a way, very heavy handed, uh, emotionally manipulative. And so I'm glad to see that film closing. Uh, as you say, it remains to be seen what the tone of Awesome Planet will be. Like you, I hope that it does take the opportunity to speak to like real and pressing issues uh, and to do that in a way that is uh, both uh, enlightening and inspiring. Right? That's like the ultimate Epcot goal with everything. Uh, I'll just say I love that the word awesome is in the title. Awesome is like part of the 80s lexicon. Uh, and so I do like this idea that Epcot is taking a step into the future while still leaning into its inextricable uh, 1980s roots. Well, I don't think there could be a better segue than Aaron to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, thinking yeah. about the 80s and uh, music. So here we're seeing a major uh, redesign of what used to be Universe of Energy, Alan's Energy Adventure, and we have our first full Marvel attraction in a Walt Disney World theme park. So this will uh, start out in the Galaxarium, which is like a planetarium, and you're going to learn about Earth's galaxy and Xandar, and then you're going to hop aboard these really innovative 
vehicles part of a storytelling coaster with uh, vehicles that actually uh, rotate so you can see particular scenes or areas of the attraction. There's a reverse launch. There's a lot of innovative elements of this attraction, but wow, this is completely different from what I think any of us have ever seen in Epcot before. Yeah, and I hate to be the curmudgeonly fanboy here, but uh, I really was very disappointed by everything we learned about this attraction. And and at the outset, I'll say I have no doubt that it'll be a great ride. Like typically Imagineering uh, knows how to handle an e-ticket and it sounds like this will be one. And so it'll probably be very fun, you know, but the question is not whether it'll be a fun roller coaster, but does it fit well into Epcot? Uh, and there was probably a way to do this, right? There was probably a way to bring Guardians of the Galaxy into Future World without sort of breaching uh, theme. And my hope had been, like, my, my little, like, armchair Imagineering idea um, was, do you remember, first of all, Brett, like, last Expo when they announced the Guardians coaster, there was this bit of story about Peter Quill having visited Epcot Center as a child? I wasn't there. I saw the video and that was the biggest eye roll I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess, I guess we've just forgotten about it. Like there's been no mention of that uh, since. So, but my hope had been like seizing upon that, that we would enter universe of energy when it reopens. And like, as you walk in, you are in the universe of energy at Epcot center in 1982 or pick any given year in those early years of Epcot the year that Peter Quill supposedly visited. And, you know, you can see from the work that's going on in this building that the roller coaster itself is is occupying a brand new building back behind the existing universe of energy, which is itself an enormous structure. So my hope was that we would enter 1982 Epcot, walk through all of those dinosaur uh, animatronics um, that we used to ride past, that we would walk through, and that this would be the queue. Uh, and and throughout this, we would still have a presentation teaching us about like fossil fuels and, and energy and the role that uh, prehistoric life played in that, uh, thereby fulfilling Epcot's uh, educational prerogative. Um, and then... There'd be a bit of store, like as we approach the the rear of the universe of energy and transition into the attraction, uh, the roller coaster part of the experience, there'd be a bit of story about, um, you know, the guardians coming back through time because Peter Quill was there that day, you know, and needing to catch him. And then that's how we would get caught up on this adventure and then taken into Guardians of the Galaxy. Something like that would have worked for me. Unfortunately, it sounds like from the moment we walk into the building, we're entering a world of fantasy because it isn't just about learning about Earth. Uh, it's about learning about the, the, the what is this, Xandar or something? Was that the name of the fictional yep. galaxy? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that to me is disappointing. Uh, it, there is no other space in Epcot where we step, where we walk through a door and enter a world of fantasy without any sort of a narrative segue. I take that back. There is one other place where that happens, uh, and it's problematic there as well. <laughs> it's at Frozen Ever After, uh, because we walk out of, we, we step from Norway into the world of Arendelle without any sort of narrative transition, no effort to link it to the, the Norwegian culture. Um, so it's, it's just disappointing because I feel like they could have found a way to justify this guardian's arrival narratively and they just are choosing not to they're not even trying and not trying is not very epcotian at all 
Well, I, I think there's one clear solution here. Disney Imagineering needs to hire you as a show writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love I love that idea. You know, I'm I'm still I want to reserve judgment until it actually debuts, but I, I share a lot of your same concerns and frustrations because I, as when we had one test on the show back in August, he also vocalized such um, irritation with the notion of that this does not belong. This does not fit narratively. It doesn't fit thematically, but this is the Disney we exist in today. And hopefully, as we'll see with some of the other content that um, was announced for Epcot, there, there is some material that does feel like more of a, a narrative fit and that doesn't necessarily rely on popular brands. Um, I have to say, out of all the Marvel properties, Guardians is toward the bottom of my list. But <laughs> I also rec- you know, I recognize what that people crave certain things and they want to see that material in different places. And they felt like, you know, it would work better here than Hollywood Studios, which I feel like was a, a missed opportunity. But so it, so it, so it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you alluded to earlier that it, at least uh, Guardians does have this intentional '80s aesthetic uh, that maybe some of the other Marvel properties don't have. And so I guess, in that sense, spiritually, it is aligned with, as I mentioned earlier, the inextricable 80s roots of Epcot. Um, But yeah, you know, again, it goes back to this idea of brand withdrawal. You know, Bob Iger always talks about, I have to decide, am I making a brand deposit or a brand withdrawal? And as someone who cares about that, uh, why doesn't he care about the brand of Epcot? Like, like, like for someone who's so obsessed with story integrity, character integrity, like where is the concern for the integrity of the theme of Epcot? Um, and, and here again, why not simply make the mandate to Imagineering? Say, make this work. We want Guardians here. Our guests want Guardians here. Fine. Now do the hard work of justifying it. Uh, why is it not in Bob Iger and Co.'s eyes a brand withdrawal not to do that? Yeah, you raise a lot of good questions and points. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the public response is. Certainly, we know our California Adventure Mission Breakout has been a phenomenal success when there was a lot of confusion and uncertainty about rebranding Tower of Terror. I, I have no doubt that this will probably win over a lot of people, but Epcot Purists may um may not necessarily feel the same so time will tell 2021 so uh another attraction or area debuting in time in time for the 50th anniversary so whatever that may mean is the play pavilion which is finally going to give a new permanent attraction area to what used to be wonders of life which hasn't had life for 13 plus years so the play pavilion is going to be an interactive city bursting with games activities and experiences that connect you with friends family and beloved disney characters both real and virtual like never before that's the the messaging what we saw at the d23 expo was some concept art featuring the likes of uh guests helping out edna mode from the incredibles um on request to rid the world of uns of uninspired style uh, <laughs> virtual water balloon fight with the DuckTales characters 
something with Wreck-It Ralph, and it looked like maybe a, it looked like Dance Dance Revolution to me. I have no clue what that concept art was. And then we saw the general main space with lots of screens and people playing around. This is seems like such a hodgepodge. I'm still trying to deconstruct it. What what are your initial views of of what they have shown about the play pavilion? Can't get a good sense of what this space is going to be. Uh, is it a glorified arcade? I mean, I sure hope not. <laughs> is it Disney Quest 2.0? Uh, are we going to walk in and just see a lot of you know projections on the ceiling and the walls, and then just have a lot of like character meet and greets and little pop up stage shows all over the place, or will it be something more substantial than that? I honestly don't know. I hope for the latter. Uh, I think the the two thoughts I feel a little more sure of are a it's nice to be it's nice to see this building being used, I guess. Um, yes. But b how does anything about a play pavilion? tie into this newly announced neighborhood of world discovery and will they make any effort to tie it in at all well it's very clear aaron people are discovering new characters right <laughs> or or fun friends it's yeah. it's a natural fit <laughs> yeah clearly <laughs> so yeah i totally agree with what you're saying it's also been rumored, not announced, that there might be some sort of flex space that might be able to be changed out given what is popular at the time, whether it's to promote new films or certain characters, maybe some screen-based technology. That has not been announced, but it, there's been some rumblings. This is a really big what-if. What What's really going to happen here? It's very very curious and i was thinking too yeah why shut down disney quest when you're basically just plopping down a smaller version of it here but ultimately we don't know what's going to come to fruition yeah yeah you just got to wonder what the thought is behind this right like this whole idea must have begun with some sort of a memo and what was that memo <laughs> you know like make something for the kids to go burn off some steam in the park like is that all it is or did it come from, you know, a grander idea of, hey, let's do something really cool and intrepid with the Wonders of Life building? I just, I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah. But one thing that will be adjacent to Mission Space, which is essentially the neighbor of the Play Pavilion, is the Space 220 restaurant. And this was first announced at the last expo in 2017. And this is going to open up very soon um, over the winter and the notion is it's called space 220 because it offers views of earth from 220 miles up and it's going to utilize this awesome um, sc screen that will simulate being um, in a sp spaceship looking down on our planet um, not a whole lot new came out of uh, the presentation um, this comes out of the patina restaurant group but we do have a a rough opening period that that was ultimately what came out of that news yeah and i'm i'm looking forward to this uh, i think uh looks like a cool experience i'm definitely eager to welcome another table service restaurant into uh into future world because uh, world showcase has a lot of that to offer future world not so much uh so hopefully it's um it's a great new dining experience i think across the board walt disney world has been knocking it out of the park with their new 
table service experiences. I'm a little disappointed that they won't be operating this restaurant themselves. I always prefer Disney-operated restaurants to the third-party operated, uh, which tend to feel a, a little bit more like chain restaurants. Um, but it sounds like theming uh, is won't be an issue here. I do worry about the amount of space uh, themed attractions that are opening uh, just like across the resort and particularly in Epcot. I mean, we're not going to have guardians of the galaxy set in space, the space restaurant, which is going to be separate, but next to mission space, uh, obviously spaceship earth, There's just a lot of space. And then you, you know, across the street at Hollywood studios, you've got Batu and galaxy's edge taking up huge swaths of the park. Uh, it's just a lot of space. Yes, but on the flip side, how much space will be in the restaurant? Like, if they're drawing huge crowds, will there be enough space for everybody who wants to dine there? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I do wonder about that. And I'm not still not exactly sure in what kind of footprint this building is going to have. Yeah, but I, I agree. And then you also have to figure, too, the notion of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the Galactic Star Cruiser. We're, we're heading to the skies over the next several years at Walt Disney World. Yeah, yeah. But let's kind of take things a little bit closer to Earth and over to World Showcase, where we heard a bunch of news related to some of the films and entertainment. Among them is a new film in Canada, which is Canada Far and Wide. So question is, who should be the host of this? Well, uh, rest in peace, O Canada, sorry, Martin Short. Uh, I will forever mourn its departure uh, because I love that film so much. But yeah, I don't know. Who, who is um, like a really famous, relevant Canadian celebrity, if that's the route we're going to take? And it probably is. <laughs> who, I don't know. You know what? Catherine O'Hara, I think, would be great. She's, uh, she's very popular right now with the TV show Shit's Creek. And uh, she's very funny and very well known. I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Something tells me Keanu Reeves. Really? He- and I, I know it sounds really weird, but it's twofold. One, he's having this resurgence. And mm-hmm. then two, he played Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4, which is the Canadian stunt devil character. That's right. Oh, do you and, think it will be like his character in Toy Story hosting it? Oh, I don't I don't think that would happen. Okay. Uh, but and then there's the third part is that I know Marvel Studios wants to enlist him uh, for one of their upcoming productions. That's been kind of ruminating for a while so i know disney tends to draw on people who they've enlisted for different projects recently so and marn short has just for at least uh years ago he was uh more of an integral person in in the company so i don't know i something tells me keanu reeves but Catherine o'hara would be cool too yeah oh you know what i would like to see uh caroline ray host this (laughs) I'm a 90s kid. I would like to see Caroline Ray host. Uh, probably not going to happen. Wait, so are, would you be excited about Keanu Reeves? Uh, I, I guess I'm indifferent, but okay. I will be really intrigued by who they select because there's going to be a lot of intentionality behind it. And and I feel like in so many spaces now, when Disney recruits uh, a celebrity to partake in one effort, usually they find ways of really leveraging them and having them in, in several different arenas. So... I don't know what we shall see. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I guess there is the possibility that there won't be a celebrity at all. Right. Or have they confirmed that there will be? Uh, They have not. uh, But I think it would be a likely guess, given the age that we live in. 
Yeah, for um, sure. All, all they say, though, is in the in the little releases that it'll debut in 20, January 2020 with new scenes and a new story. Um, so no reference to new narrator, but arguably it's unlikely that Martin Short will appear. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what what new comes out of this. Yeah, me too. So another, I guess now I'm not saying things in a sequential standpoint from looking at directly around World Showcase, but if we're going to jump a little bit to China, we're going to get the Wondrous China film, which will include a seamless Circle Vision 360 experience. That's that's pretty new and exciting. Yes. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love that this quintessential epcot technology though it did not originate with epcot but um you know circle vision has for so long been an integral part of the world showcase experience i love that disney is now looking to advance that technology in a pretty significant way uh so excited for this and i do think that as much as i enjoy that film it is due uh for its second major overhaul uh so yeah this is nothing but good news in my eyes and and also good news is no no reference to characters that could have happened in Canada, but certainly so in China, especially with the new live action Mulan. So it does not seem like there will be any brand uh, IP influence here. Yeah, and isn't it almost shocking that they had an opportunity to make like a, a Mulan movie inside here, and they and they chose not to. Uh, so good on Epcot, good on Walt Disney World. Uh, here again, this is why I say the news coming out of the parks panel, uh, was not the across the board disappointment that I had feared it would be. Um, though I think we did already know that there was a new film coming to China, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not entirely stepping away from the park's core identity. And I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. That was really when it came to the little details about the forthcoming films, whether it be Awesome Planet or, or the Canada film or Wondrous China, that the notion of that there's still that core sense of Epcot in terms of showing the world in which we occupy in its most natural way without the sense of, um, not to say humor is necessarily bad because it has its place, but in certain spots, um, maybe not as appropriate. So I'm excited about that. I also wonder, Aaron, even though we don't hear anything about Mulan coming in, could there be a voice artist from Mulan serving as narrator, like recent Disney legend Ming-Na Wen? That would be cool. That is entirely possible. Uh, it's also possible we could see someone from the uh, from the live-action Mulan uh, taking on that role. Uh, I also think... Um, you know, for example, uh, the, the the film Crazy Rich Asians, though not set in China, uh, several of the starring cast members are Chinese. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Disney maybe reach out uh, to one of those performers since that movie is having such a big moment in popular culture right now. Uh, but yeah, I think I would welcome any of those. Really, any, any idea other than bringing in Christina Aguilera to narrate, I will welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you have it. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to uh, chime in like I'm, you know, you mentioned Crazy Rich Asians, like as long as they don't have Const Constance Wu coming in and dropping some four letter words, that that would be positive. <laughs> yes, that's true. And, you know, she has uh, she has a Disney connection because she's on Fresh Off the Boat. Right. right. Uh, so, yeah, that that actually now seems like a real possibility, too. Yeah. But I, I was joking. I don't have anything against her, but that yeah. was definitely yeah. not her finest moment. <laughs> 
so a few other uh, films or experiences in that realm in World Showcase. We're going to get a Beauty and the Beast sing-along in the France Pavilion. Apparently, it's going to play in tandem with Impressions de France. So it's not necessarily a replacement, but rather complementary ideas or perspectives on, in this case, a very explicit use of a brand in a an existing pavilion. Yeah, I feel like I should hate this. <laughs> like on principle, I should hate it. But it's just hard to get very worked up about it for me personally, because it's not as if it's taking the place of Impressions de France. Uh, that movie is still going to be there. It's still going to be with us. Uh, maybe it's not the worst thing to introduce a little bit of diversity, a little bit of variety. Uh, I happen to love sing-alongs, so <laughs> I'm biased. I love Beauty and the Beast. And I am not, I should say, I am not opposed to the integration of characters and in Epcot attractions. I just think it has to be thoughtful and tied into the theme and not to plug my book, but this is like one of the running themes of the book is, is sort of taking like, uh, tests that that courts use to to work through really trying issues and then applying that to epcot and so i think it's important to look at not whether it's good or bad for characters or celebrities or what have you to be an attraction but rather look at how and why those things are being used and does it make sense uh beauty and the beast is a quintessentially french fairy tale uh and I, I think that uh, you know, already we hear some of the same music that is at play in Beauty and the Beast film is at play in Impressions of France. So, like musically, there's a nice thread to tie those two attractions together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just I have a hard time minding this, though maybe I should. How do you feel? It's hard too because Beauty and the Beast is perhaps my favorite Disney animated film with uh, with some of the best music I think has ever come out of the company. So. I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I, I'm not sure if I will be participating in the sing-along, but I'll, <laughs> I'll sure be excited to to see others uh, partaking in that process. So I'll, I'll also be interested to see how long it sticks around for, right? Is this going to be, you know, testing it out and seeing what the public response is? Is it going to be more permanent? Will it be maybe seasonal? Who knows? Mm-hmm. And uh, and do we know, is all of this coming from the animated Beauty and the Beast, or will there also be sequences from the live-action movie? So that hasn't been announced, but I, I'm glad you raised that point, because the concept art, which is basically just a poster of basically a spin of the classic animated poster, shows uh, the silhouette of Belle and Beast, but then in the upper left-hand corner, you see LeFou, uh, like placing like a little spotlight on them. So all of that seems to suggest animated, but by mm-hmm. the same token, the live action production was at, I know it's a contentious topic and very divisive. I thought it was great and had some awesome uh, little versions of some of the classic songs. So it may be both. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking probably the animated film, but I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed the live-action Beauty and the Beast. I also love that as well, though, as you say, it's maybe not the most popular opinion in the hardcore Disney fan community. Uh, but I think that that film, that film felt very French. Uh, there were a lot of sequences that reminded me very much of La Belle et la Bête, which is uh, the old French uh, film adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and I think a lot of the sequences were very like directly inspired by that film, which is also true of the animated Beauty and the Beast. But uh, yeah, I think it would f- 
it would feel fitting to have a little bit of both. And I, I do know that the Disney Parks blog in in announcing this project referred to Don Hahn as, quote, producer of both the animated and live action versions of the Disney classic. I don't know if that was some sort of a hint uh, that maybe we'll see both in the attraction. But as you say, the poster seems to be focusing solely on the animated film. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how many people will want to uh, experience both films at like if let's say you have guests who are just going for one day and they have limited time. Will they choose Impressions Day France or the sing along or both? Mm. I, 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 there's there's going to be a lot of factors that I think play into uh, how much longevity this might have. But I sense that there will be a base because who doesn't love any form of Beauty and the Beast, or yeah. at least one form, right? So Yeah, though when you say that, and now it, it does scare me a little to think uh, that the sing-along could be the huge hit uh, and, and Impressions of France not so much. And so if you have large populations of guests waiting for Impressions of France to finish so that they can go into Beauty and the Beast, you know, might Disney management take note of that and slowly phase out Impressions of France? I sure hope not. Yeah, I agree. Um, however, there there's going to be a lot more activity in France in general because you have uh, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, which will open next spring. There's also going to be a Creperie, which hadn't been announced. But I don't know about you, Aaron. When they announced the Creperie, I got so excited and I was about expecting 100 cast members to come down the aisles with <laughs> crepes. I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been amazing. Uh, no, I love a good crepe. Uh, I am so here for this. The amount of dining that is going to be available within the France Pavilion is kind of mind-boggling. I think it already has the most dining experiences of any of the World Showcase Pavilions. So the idea that they're now adding more um, between this and the restaurant uh, is kind of crazy, but awesome. I mean, I'm I'm here for more food. Yeah, and I'm certainly here to to finally experience the attraction that has really put the Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris on the map because of that amazing Ratatouille attraction. We're going to get our own version here in the States at Epcot. And that seems like it's going to be a phenomenal success. Yeah. Have you been to Disneyland Paris, Brett? Nope. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, I same. Hope so. It's the one I haven't been to. So yeah, so neither of us have gotten to experience this. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people who have, and I've heard very mixed opinions. Some people love it, think it's just like an excellent e-ticket. Other people have said it's sort of slow moving and boring and disappointing. Uh, I'm going in with an open mind, but uh, in as much as this is a significant uh, big budget Disney ride experience, I'm happy to have it here uh, in, in the States. And I'm excited that we will have our for I think this is our first substantial trackless dark ride in the States. Is that right? Sure. Sounds right. I'd, I can't think of any other that's yeah. in the States. Yeah, I think so. And you know, this is, uh, this is one of the things you often hear from the people who frequent the international Disney parks that, you know, Disney trackless rides are the end all be all of the dark ride experience. And this is one of the major reasons the international parks are so much better. And I've gotten to experience a few of them. I, I got to do Mystic Manor uh, in, in Hong Kong and I got to do um, Pooh's Honey Hunt in Tokyo. And I would say that the trackless ride experience on both in both of those attractions is like next level. And I cannot wait for more U.S. guests to have the experience to ride something like that so i hope that 
Remy's Ratatouille adventure is in fact something like that. Indeed. Well, I know one brand that people have long wanted to see in some form of an attraction is Mary Poppins. And that has been rumored for a while. And then when Mary Poppins returns debuted, the box office wasn't quite as strong internationally. And then there were some questions like, will this actually materialize in the parks? Because, hey, the sequel didn't perform fantastically. And often Disney wants those billion-dollar properties to be the ones that get their own attractions, or at least um, those that are very strong. But Mary Poppins has been a cultural touchstone for many, many decades. And what what did we see at D23 Expo? But a bunch of Disney performers dancing to uh, as chimney sweeps, and out comes Disney legend Dick Van Dyke. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it sounds kind of crazy to talk about that. It's like one of the best experiences of my life. But that moment, there was just so much surprise there. I mean, we all knew that we might get like the rumor was, as you say, a Mary Poppins carousel. Uh, but I just never anticipated all the fanfare. I didn't anticipate Dick Van Dyke coming out to make the announcement. And then for the announcement to be something as grand as what we're getting, which is the construction of a full-fledged cherry tree lane. Uh, to me, this I was just like so elated, and I'm so excited that this is happening. Uh, so so cool to be in the same room as Dick Van Dyke, to be sharing this major moment in Mary Poppins' history with him, uh, especially in as much as maybe this is happening in part because of Mary Poppins' returns, which is a movie that he was part of, and I think it was successful in part because he was part of it so it was just great to have him there for that moment but i gotta tell you Brett, i mean i used to like as a teenager as this very dorky disney fan like i used to kind of like doodle the theme parks that i would design and uh one of them was like uh, like instead of a main street you'd have like a cherry tree lane and it would be this very nostalgia themed park and it would have you know peach dragon and ben Oms and broomsticks and but but like one of the centerpieces would be cherry tree lane and never did i dream that this would actually happen i mean we've we've never gotten anything more than a single mary poppins scene in the great movie ride in terms of attractions so the idea that she's going to get almost like a mini land of her own in a sense um is just mind-blowing to me oh absolutely well w- one i have to say you are not alone. I had my own sets of Disney maps that I crafted. I yeah. still probably have some of them. Uh, I don't think I ever designed a cherry tree lane, but I know I would craft like little designs of fantasy land and that there would be a space toward a Mary Poppins attraction. So I've, I've wanted to see this for a long time too. And it's still very much speculation as to what the experience will be. All we saw was the cherry tree lane facade. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw like Admiral Boom's house and area so we saw that there was a lamp lighter which seems to suggest that there will be maybe the jack character or a jack inspired character from the sequel it's very much unknown and i think that was very intentional because this is still in the early stages of development mm-hmm. and i'll say not that i don't want more because obviously i, I hope for as much mary poppins as we can get but even if it were to be the case that they just build a cherry tree lane facade and that's it I will still be ecstatic. Uh, so this, there's really only the possibility of good news for me here. 
Um, that having been said, okay, first of all, I could have sworn, apparently this was not the case. He did not say this, but for some reason I heard him say Mary Poppins ride when I was in there. Maybe it was just wishful thinking, overpowering my hearing. Uh, but I guess he didn't use those words, Mary Poppins ride. I've been told subsequently, but instead they said something like we will step into number 17, which is of course is the Banks family's home, uh, where our adventure will begin. I think the, the actual wording was something along those lines. So yeah, what does that mean? As you say, vague, probably intentionally vague at this point, but it sounds like it's at least a little bit more than just a facade. If we're actually stepping into number 17, what that will be, will it just be to walk around and see a room in the house? Will it be a meet and greet inside? Could it be the gateway to some sort of attraction? Who's to say? Yeah, I and I think what's all, we also have to remind ourselves, it's going to be at the very least three years until something probably pops up. I, I don't think this will happen until 2023. I'm just trying to be realistic because I feel like there's so, so much other stuff that's on the plate. And the fact that they gave rough dates for some of these other attractions, but not this seems to illustrate that this will probably be three, four years down the line. Uh, yeah, I had not thought about that, but that's a good point with with no specific timeline being announced. And, you know, it's also true that there's not currently a whole lot of space for expansion back there, but there is a lot that they could move around backstage. My, this is my understanding um, from those who are in the know that if they wanted to clear out a nice little expansion uh, plot there, they could. Uh, and I hope that they will. Also, you know, there's this possibility of, of a third Mary Poppins film being made. Uh, we have heard uh, that Emily Blunt signed on for the option to do a third film uh, and has said that she would gladly participate. Uh, we know that the uh, creative team has been at work on a story treatment for a third Mary Poppins film. As you say, Brett, the box office returns, while uh, not bad, weren't maybe what Disney had hoped and certainly fell short of the really kind of insane uh, industry projections for that film. I mean, they were talking about it being like one of the highest grossing films of the year. And I remember thinking even at the time, like these projections seem way off base. And I think maybe that hurt the movie a little bit because it just felt short of these, fell short of these astronomical projections. But all that to say, if Disney is on the fence about whether or not to make a third Mary Poppins film, given that they are now going to be investing in that quote unquote franchise within Epcot and that they will have this designated space for promotion going forward. I think possibly it could help to tip the scales in favor of a third film. That makes complete sense to me. So I, I'm hopeful. I, I think that this is a brand that Disney has invested in, in different ways over the years, but certainly not in this manner in the theme parks and, and why not capitalize on that momentum? So let us hope. And also Almost last but not least in in World Showcase, um, we're going to be getting a new show after the limited run of Epcot Forever. We're going to have Harmony Us, or Harmonious, uh, which is going to be a, apparently the largest nighttime spectacular ever created for Disney Park. Um, there's going to be a lot of integration of Disney tunes, apparently a lot of massive floating set pieces and fountains and lights and pyrotechnics. This is, uh, from what I've heard, there are some mixed feelings in terms of the, the type of show this will encompass as opposed to Illuminations, which was such a standard. But 
Do you have any strong feelings on Harmonious? Yeah, I'm of two minds about it. I mean, I guess the negative mind is that uh, we already have so many Disney character-based nighttime spectaculars throughout not only Walt Disney World Resort, but all the Disney parks and resorts around the world. Uh, And so many of them are, are so good, but the underlying sameness, I think... Uh, detracts from a week-long visit to Walt Disney World. You don't want guests to feel that they're seeing a variation of the same show night after night, park after park. Uh, We we recently saw Rivers of Light at Disney's Animal Kingdom take a step in this direction. Uh, Hollywood Studios now has three nighttime shows, uh, two of which are Disney character-based, the third being Star Wars. So it's just a lot of the same. So I worry about that. Uh, I, I worry that all of this Disney character integration, again, won't really capture the spirit of Epcot, though it's possible they could find a way to achieve that. Uh, so that's sort of the one mind on this. The other is uh, that we heard a piece of music uh, there at the D23 Expo that, while maybe not as captivating as the Illuminations theme, which I personally consider to be one of the all-time great pieces of modern instrumental uh, compositions, uh, but it, it was a very beautiful piece of music, I thought, uh, and and did not scream Disney characters at all. In fact, it felt very Epcot, I thought. And so uh, I that, that was encouraging to me. Uh, and uh, I love the name Harmonious with a capital U.S. I've heard some people say it's corny, but here again for me, it's consistency of naming conventions. Illuminations had the capital N uh, emphasizing nations within that name. Uh, and I think the whole idea of us speaks to this sense of community and coming together to learn about and ultimately change the world uh, that was integral to uh, Epcot's original mission. Absolutely. And as far as the the piece of music that they debuted at the expo, this is from composer Pinar Toprak, who is responsible for the score for Captain Marvel. Uh, And I got really excited to see her because I, one, enjoyed the score for that, but also, two, there's, I think a great sense of thoughtfulness and intentionality behind the choice. You have um, an individual who's a Turkish-American composer. So there's the notion of um, that there's a a greater sense of culture, um, but also a female composer, which generally we don't see as much in in the music world. So from a representation standpoint, I think it's very good. But more importantly, she's extremely talented. And the, um, the orchestra was just so grand and inspirational yeah yeah that's a great point uh, about the significance of breaking her in to compose this uh and yeah i mean I, I i would say that right now i feel cautiously optimistic there you there you have it yeah i, I will be intrigued uh, especially you know will we see coco or mulan or some other disney characters representative of particular cultures incorporated probably so how how well will it be woven in how appropriate will it be time will tell and yeah. then the final, yeah, I was just going to say the final piece of all of this is uh, a new preview center in the Odyssey uh, building. So this will kind of serve as years ago with California Adventure, um, that blue sky cellar serving as a preview center for all the changes that unfolded there. This will s- serve more or less the same purpose in Epcot. 
Yeah, and you know, Brett, as you and I record this right now, we are mere weeks away from this opening. I think by the time your listeners hear it, this will already be open. Uh, and I can't wait. Uh, as exciting as it was to walk through that Imagineering Pavilion on the show floor at the D23 Expo, I think it will be doubly exciting to see these even more detailed uh, exhibits. And it will be nice to have the Odyssey Center being used for something uh, more than just a kind of a secondary festival center, which is what it's been uh, for the last few years. Uh, and to really have it being like a, a, a destination point uh, for going into Epcot. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, any final takeaways based on what we have learned thus far or what perhaps may just be speculation at this point? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would just say it's obviously as fans, we all want to speculate and imagine and and discuss and debate and tear through every little um every little piece of information that we get. But this is, it's really hard to talk about these things because we just don't know a lot and execution is everything, right? Uh, so every positive opinion that I've expressed, every negative opinion that I've expressed, you know, it's all subject to change because each of these projects could end up going the other way. I would just say that my, my hope is that this is a park that won't feel like it is less than it once was, right? No one wants that. Like no one wants anything to be less than, right? And if it ever feels like maybe Epcot fanboys are a little too fussy about this park in particular, I think it's because of the specialness of the achievement. Uh, Epcot 1982 aspired to do so much more than theme parks before it had done uh, and is and really endeavored to touch on subject matter that probably would have been deemed unsuitable for theme parks. Uh, this reminds me of Walt Disney's early ambitions, uh, you know, quote unquote, Disney's folly when he created Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. And then again, Disney's folly when he set out to build Disneyland, doing things that people said couldn't be done. Um, Epcot Center, I think, tied into that same spirit and did things that theme parks should not, could not, would not do and did them, did them well, did them so well that they touched the hearts and minds of whole, like millions of people across multiple generations. And that's why we're having those debates now, because like we are those generations who were touched by this very special place. And so it's not wrong to want it to still be that. And it can be that in different ways and, and certainly evolution and change are parts of life. But I just hope that in all of this evolution and change, it does not lose the, the thing that made it special in the first place. Very well said. I, I could not say it better. So I think we'll, we'll conclude on that note. Can you remind listeners, Aaron, of how folks can get in touch with you because you not only have your website, but you also now have the relaunched on Main Street. And uh, we're recording now right after you debuted um, this new episode that centers on some great Disney tunes across the decades. You have a lot of great content on the horizon and, and just emerging now. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I'll just say for those who maybe um, 
haven't come across any of my work before, I have this uh, podcast and a book series that are kind of complementary to one another. Uh, so the podcast, as Brett just mentioned, uh, for years it was known as Zippity Doopod. It has just relaunched with a brand new title and format. So it's called On Main Street with Aaron Wallace. Uh, and then the book series is The Thinking Fan's Guide to Disney. There are three books in that series. One's on Magic Kingdom. One is relevant to this episode. Uh, uh, on Epcot, and then there's one on the movie Hocus Pocus. Uh, so you can find all of that on my website, which is AaronWallaceOnline.com, A-A-R-O-N. Uh, and then if you want to connect with me on social media, I'm on Twitter, at Aaron Wallace, and on Instagram, at Aaron H. Wallace. And I think that's pretty much it. Perfect, Aaron. Thank, thank you so much again for being part of this Epcot Essentials series. We've covered so much ground over these episodes, and it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. You're very well-informed and have a lot of really uh, insightful perspectives on the evolution of the park and, and certainly the the products and, and materials and things that have come out of the parks, whether it be the books, the music, or as we discussed today, the experiences ahead. Well, likewise, and thank you, Brett, and thank you for having me on as part of this series. It has been so much fun to walk through so much Epcot, past, present, and future uh, with someone else who uh, you know, clearly feels a great deal of passion about the park, so I've really enjoyed this. Once again, major thanks to Aaron for joining me in this really fantastic discussion of the future of Epcot. I know I am thrilled to visit Epcot over the next several years and see how these plans actually come to fruition. And I'm guessing you probably will be too. So what are your thoughts? What are you most excited about as it pertains to this redevelopment at Epcot? Feel free to send in your thoughts via Twitter. You can tweet me at bnackmanreports or send in an email to notablydisney at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.